Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the 12th installment in our Halloween movie review series. Today we are reviewing Halloween Kills. This is your co-host, Corbin. And I'm Alan. Well, Alan, if you can believe it, we started our Halloween series three years and eight months ago, kicking it off with Halloween 2. Halloween, the very original, was actually, I believe, our first Halloween special. So um, it's uh, it's been a while since we've uh, watched these movies and reviewed them. That's right. Uh, we were talking about this right before we began recording, and I did not realize it was that long ago we did basically all the Halloween movies that had existed at the time. Of course, we did Halloween, the original, a number of years ago, like you mentioned. Um, but then spent pretty much the entirety of, what was it, 2018? We spent the entirety of 2018 yep. going through every month. We did one Halloween movie, just kind of went through every single one of them. Uh, it was probably a good That's thing right. we padded those out because uh, if you go back and listen to those podcasts, they get kind of interesting <laughs> after a certain point <laughs> um, and kind of stay pretty interesting for the entire runtime. But yeah, we finally get the sequel to the 2018's Halloween releasing a year after it was supposed to. Well, also, believe it or not, I just checked this, our review of John Carpenter's original 1978 Halloween. On October 31st, it, that episode will have came out five years ago. Wow. It's wow. crazy. So, listeners, if you want to go back and listen to the review, our reviews for all of the Halloween films, that is linked to in the description below. And while you're down there, make sure to click subscribe, share with your friends and family. We are on all the social media platforms. We have great bonus content on Patreon and, of course, timestamps if you're ready to jump ahead. And you want to know what our thoughts are on this film because, as we discussed in Thursday's Guide to Halloween, you can listen to that. That's the first link below. This is a divisive film, maybe controversial. Um, it's not doing too well. People aren't liking it, but mm -hmm. I know there are reviewers out there like Stuart on Now Playing who seem to really love the film. So it's kind of one of those like you love it or you hate it. It's it's polarizing. So it's this will be an interesting discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Alan did bring up a good point. I actually forgot to mention that in the background. This was actually pushed back a year. So we sh actually should be reviewing Halloween ends right now. Mm -hmm. This should be the conclusion to the new trilogy. Um, it was actually supposed to come out on the same day. They pushed it a year and Halloween kills a year and Halloween ends a year. So yeah, we had to wait a stinking year to actually watch this movie. That's right. We'll get into if it was worth it here in a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> if yeah, came the uh, 2018's Halloween came out three almost three years ago, uh, probably over three years, actually right at, right at three years ago, I bet, um, for when yeah. this movie released. Yeah, it was supposed to be just two years, but. I believe they actually dropped some a teaser of sorts not long after they made the announcement, hey, we're pushing Halloween Kills a year, but here's some teaser footage. Was this on your radar at all? Were you watching any trailers beforehand or were you choosing to stay away from all trailers? Just go in blind. So, I mean, for the most part, I, I stay away from everything. Um, I didn't watch the teaser when it came out. Um, it did make it kind of hard when I was in the theater for Candyman and they showed the trailer for this new Halloween Kills. Um, I can say that what I saw in that trailer concerned me, but at the same time, <laughs> I didn't think too much about it because even the last, even 2018's Halloween didn't super impress me. Um, and I wasn't exactly looking forward to watching this one. I really just didn't care. So... Watching the trailer now, um, I can say I don't think it would still interest me. I don't think I would be rushing to see it in the theater. Um, so can't say I was very impressed by it. But I will say from what I did see, I was a little bit uh, 
concerned, I guess, with what I was seeing in the trailers. So we'll talk about it later. We get into the review um, as to how that pans out. But can't say it impressed me. I don't think I would be in the theater if we didn't have to review it. You know, I did stay away from trailers also. Uh, the one trailer that I did go back and watch was the final trailer. I think the final trailer was terrifying. It looked exhilarating. It presented, at least in my estimation, to be a solid, what I was hoping for was a solid story. So that final trailer, at least, if that's the only trailer I saw before the movie, which wasn't, I went ahead and watched it afterwards. That's a good trailer. Now, it sounds like some of the earlier trailers are uh, probably not great so uh, yeah and you know I, i'll be honest actually i did see some of those trailers um i kind of forgot all about them you're right when we were in Candyman, they were playing it i thought the Candyman trailers looked way more exciting than halloween kills the halloween oh, kills yeah. the yeah. very very original trailers that a couple months ago that i saw were no they weren't exciting um so of course it's a new michael myers movie new halloween movie i want to go see it in the theater but if it weren't for that final trailer, I don't think I would be too excited to see it. Mm -hmm. um, but Alan, did you go see it in the theater or did you choose to uh, stay at home and watch it in the comfort of your home? So I went and saw it in the theater. Um, I took a Friday, I guess. Yeah, Friday night um, and went and watched it in the theater. So yeah, I got the theater experience from this. You told me it was in Peacock. Uh, it was going to be streaming on Peacock like the night I was going to go see it, I think. Um <laughs> Which I didn't, I didn't realize. Oops. I did not know that they were also going to be at the same time releasing in theaters and also on a streaming service. Um, so that mm -hmm. was a little bit surprising to me. I haven't seen it on Peacock yet. Only saw it in the theater. So yeah, I'm kind of glad I got to go back to the theater. It had been a while since Candyman and before that, I don't remember when I was in there last. I am curious though, what was your theatrical experience like? Was it a very full theater? What was the demographics in the theater? Because mine was weird to say the least. Mine was also kind of strange. Um, I went and saw it with a mutual friend of ours. Uh, and it the theater itself was rather small to begin with. They only had, okay. it, they, I think they had a total of like five or six rows of seats, um, but like a pretty big screen. So, you know, it kind of, I guess, made up for it in a way. But right. some lady brought her kids along with her and they talked the whole time, mm -hmm. which was real fun. Yeah. Um, and then... <laughs> There were a number of open seats in the theater. In the first three rows, there were a number of open seats, and we were all on the right side for whatever reason. Weird. Um, and all in all, it wasn't that bad, but it was. It did have an interesting demographic in the theater with us. Yeah, I had the same experience. The theater was smaller. It was mostly fullish, I would say. It was probably like mm -hmm. three-fourths full. A lot of families... Actually, um, I didn't peg this to be a family movie. Yeah. Um, there was, I think, a mother and daughter sitting next to me. And the husband and sons were sitting behind us. These kids were like 10, 11, 8, 9, somewhere around there. Great. L young young kids in this uh, pretty violent rated R movie we're about to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was really weird. I not quite the uh, theater experience I was expecting. Well, listeners, if you have not got the chance to experience Halloween Kills yet theatrically or streaming on Peacock Premium and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and watch the film and then come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it. This is going to be a short plot, by the way. Oh, I bet. Listeners, before I get into this plot real quick... I will say this plot relies on you having some knowledge of the plot of Halloween 1978 and Halloween 2018, mm -hmm. since it heavily relies on both films, characters from those, and it essentially is a continuation. So I'm not going to reread the whole plot of Halloween 2018. So picking up on that same fateful Halloween night, 40 years after the original movie, Police officer Hawkins, reprised by Will Patton, is alive after being stabbed by Dr. Sartain. Cameron, reprised by Dylan Arnold, finds him, which prompts him to call his father, Monty Elam, played by Robert Longstreet, who is at a bar with Lindsay, reprised by Kyle Richards, the nurse Marion, reprised by Nancy Stevens, and Tommy Doyle, played by Anthony Michael Hall. 
Meanwhile, Laurie Strode, reprised by Jamie Lee Curtis, is treated at a hospital where she remains for the rest of the film. In fact, her and Hawkins share the same room, where they reminisce over a long-lost romantic connection and Hawkins' guilt for not allowing Loomis to shoot Michael in the head 40 years earlier. Tommy Doyle forms a vigilante mob, including Laurie's granddaughter Allison, reprised by Andy Matichek, to hunt Michael across Haddonfield. For most of the time, they go on a wild goose chase as they hunt a different escaped mental patient whom they believe to be Michael. Eventually, this inmate is cornered at the hospital where he jumps to his death to escape the mob. In the meantime, Michael is leaving a bloody rampage in his wake as he makes his way home, wishing to just stare out of his sister's second-floor bedroom window. Lori's daughter Karen, reprised by Judy Greer, is able to lure Michael into a trap where he is shot, stabbed, clubbed, but still manages to get back up, slaying pretty much everyone, including Tommy Doyle. Back at the Myers house, thinking all is finally safe and sound, Karen thinks she sees young Michael in the window. She ventures up to the bedroom where the shape appears, stabbing her to death, and then stares out of the window as credits roll. So, yeah, uh, it's, I guess... <laughs> I don't know how, I, it's kind of hard for me to start off, let's start from the beginning, I guess, like we usually do. Uh, yeah. I feel like this, this opening sets up a number of things. The, what's his name, Officer Hawkins, shoots his partner, we have the little kid that we meet that in 1978 for, uh, for oh, a reason. Yep. Um, then, of course, we have the continuation of 2018's Halloween, where the house is burning and... Uh, Lori and her family are taken to the hospital. So there are a lot of things that are set up in this movie, in this opening, and a lot of things. Some of them call back to 1978, some of it just right after what happened in last year and uh, three years ago from that movie. So there's a lot of things that are set up in, in this movie. And I, at first I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. You know, they're kind of, it seems like they're kind of doing some retconning of, you know, what happened in the last, or what happened in 1978, or like adding on to that night with those two officers, um, while at the same time, you know, following in the footsteps of maybe Halloween 2, or it's just a continuation of the night of Halloween. So interesting stuff. I, I But at the same time, I feel like it's almost a little bit too much for me when it comes to setting up all these side plots that are going to be happening in the rest of this movie. And even going to, I guess, the very, very beginning, I was wondering what they were going to do about the pumpkins, though, mm -hmm. because each Halloween movie opens up with a pumpkin, and this is multiple pumpkins catching on fire, which I've heard people describe represents the many citizens of Haddonfield have just had enough, and uh, everything is just going to burn down tonight. Uh, I liked it. It was interesting. I thought that was kind of a unique choice. Yeah, no, that's true. I, for I forgot about that part. Yeah, we know we've talked about those in the past of, you know, the openings with the pumpkins and how they change for every film. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that this is a very much a representation of all of the uh, citizens of Haddonfield at the same time, kind of having the same idea and mob mentality in, in some way. I will agree with you, though. It is a weird way to open the film, I think. I was not expecting to see Cameron in his, you know, sweater and skirt walking home from the school dance. Mm -hmm. He's drunk and he stumbles upon Officer Hawkins, whom I believe to be dead. I thought he was dead from the last movie. Surprise, he actually has a fairly significant part to play in this, even though he's in a hospital bed. It's his younger self that we get to see in flashbacks. Um, so the way I take this is... This is while Lori and them are fighting Michael and they're burning down the house. Meanwhile, back in Haddonfield, Officer Hawkins is found and Tommy Doyle and his buddies from way back when mm -hmm. are reminiscing at the bar. Um, we even surprisingly get the those people that dressed up as a nurse and doctor. Um, I don't know if you remember them. Um, they are briefly in the original film and surprisingly they come to be significant ish characters in this. So it's a lot to set up. They're setting up like three or four different plot strands. We're going to follow throughout the movie. Mm -hmm. it, it is almost a little bit too much. And I, it's an interesting choice. They've done it before where it like literally picks up where the first one left off. It's, it's just happening simultaneously almost i would say making this not quite an independent standalone movie but really part two 
Is that the way I took it? Yeah, because we uh, in Halloween 2, 1981, they did this pretty much the same thing, right? And whereas the first movie took place, you know, over essentially just one day, um, so did the second movie, but it just continued on from whenever the last movie left off. Same thing here. They started off and the first Halloween movie takes place over Halloween day. I forget if it takes over place over multiple days. But the second movie, more importantly, picks up exactly where this, uh, this first one left off and then just makes the whole movie continuing that night. Uh, that's what Halloween 2 did, but it was set place. It was it took place primarily in the hospital, which um, in everything happened within the hospital for the most part. This one goes around mm-hmm. town. This one's not subject to just a hospital. We have a number of hospital scenes, but they're not exactly, you know, we don't stick there for very long usually. So it does take the, I guess, the the uh, the same Halloween 2 um, way of storytelling where it takes place over one night from the continu- continuation of the last movie, and that's the movie itself. I think it's an interesting idea. I, I, I do tend to like movies that take place over just one whole day, um, but sometimes it can be, you know, a bit much. Like, this all happened in one day, really? That kind of a thing. Yeah, it is. And I am curious, Alan, because kind of like what I mentioned with the plot summary, there is stuff in this movie that I think somewhat hinges upon how fresh the 2018 film is in your mind. Mm -hmm. I personally, me and my wife, we watched it the night before we went to go see the new one in theaters. So it was completely fresh. I remembered all these little details. Had you returned to the 2018 film, and if you hadn't, was this one easy for you to get back into, or were you kind of puzzled since this really is a continuation of the first film? Right. So I I kind of wanted to return to the original Halloween, uh, but I didn't. Uh, I guess when I say original, I mean one from 2018. Um, I never did return to it. Um, so when I'm going into this movie... When they're introducing a bunch of characters, I think it was me just like confused as to trying to keep track of all these new characters that they're introducing and didn't really draw any yeah, connections to these are all some of these are also characters from the previous movie because we watched that whenever we reviewed it would have been the last time I saw it. So uh, I think I was more of just confused of trying to keep track of everybody because there are a lot of side mm-hmm. plots in this movie. Um, there are. Yeah, and we'll talk about them, but. <laughs> that, I think that was where my main concern was, was I didn't realize that they were, they they may have been, you know, main players in the previous film, because uh, I just didn't remember them, if they were. Now, you did mention earlier about the flashback, and this is a very long flashback. I was absolutely mm-hmm. not expecting them to go back and kind of add in what really happened because we know Michael was shot and we know that officer Hawkins was there. We know Michael was apprehended and then he was just locked up in a sanitarium for 40 years. But in this flashback, we really get to delve deeper into Hawkins and what happened. How did that night come to its conclusion? So I, I really liked the flashback. I think it was a little too long, but one of the things that impressed me the most was how they were able to really make the film look like, they shot this footage back in 1978. How seamlessly they they incorporated it back in with the costumes, with Michael's mask, even when Doctor Loomis showed up because yeah. the the actor is dead. The lookalike they got was very impressive, and I know they actually spoke with cinematographer on the film Dean Cundy, and they did color correction. They tried to match the grain. They really, really worked really hard to try and make this look like a legitimate flashback. So I, I was pretty impressed with that. I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah, no, I'm with you. That is very, I thought that was very impressive too. If, Cause at first it looked like they'd pretty much just pulled scenes for Dr. Loomis and put them in this film. That's what it looked like to me. Um, so I, I didn't know how exactly they did it. It looked like maybe that was the case or if they, they really did look like it was CGI to me, at least they didn't make it too obvious. So no, yeah, you're right. I think that it's pretty impressive. This opening scene um, when they're in 1978, because it feels like, yeah, it was pretty much pulled straight from that original movie um, and just kind of re-ran here again, even though it's not really the case. It's, it's definitely using modern technology. I thought, yeah, you're right, especially with Dr. Loomis. Dr. Loomis this looks pretty much like a spitting image. I didn't even think twice that it wasn't. It may have been somebody else. I didn't think about that. It looked like, it looked like Dr. Loomis, like from that original film. 
Speaking of some of the more technical aspects, what did you think of the score of this movie? I did go back and listen to about half of the score independently um, after the movie. I personally really liked the score. I think it was actually a little bit better than last time. Mm -hmm. I remember liking the score from 2018's Halloween. I remember bringing it up when we talked about it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I again, I noticed it this time. It, it's still John Carpenter, isn't it, that did this score like he did in the previous film? Um, if yep. I'm not mistaken. It, I think it was like him and a couple others. Son. Yeah. It, yeah, it's his, him and his son and one other guy. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. It definitely stuck out to me. I did go back and listen to about half of it as well. Um, I want to go back and listen to the rest of it. I remember I, I like it. Uh, I don't think it makes too much of an impression on me, but there are a couple of tracks that I do enjoy. So nothing that sticks yeah. out too much, but it is definitely, I think, a good score. I think one of the biggest narrative twists that I was pleasantly surprised with is in all the other Halloween movies, it's always been Michael purposefully stalking Laurie. And originally that was because she, well, in the original film, there was no reason, but the second film brought up the fact that she was actually his sister, something we never knew about. So far that has been scrubbed from continuity. And this really surprised me. Lori isn't the focus yeah. of Michael yeah. because Lori keeps saying he's coming here. He's coming to this hospital and Tommy Doyle's like, what are you talking about? Like, why would he do that? Why would he come for you? And she's like, well, he came for me at my house. And they said, he didn't come for you. He was brought there by Dr. Sartain. And he was also part of the reason he was brought there is because um, Lori's granddaughter was mm -hmm. in the car with them. And it all just was kind of this interesting convergence that really changed my perspective on the Halloween 2018 and the first film as well is that Lori had this sick, you know, obsession that Michael was going to be coming for her all those right. 40 years. It ruined her life. Come to find out he wasn't coming for her. He wasn't breaking out for her. These were her paranoid delusions and mm -hmm. she was inserting herself into the fight, which I found to be an incredibly fascinating twist that this is just her paranoid delusions. Michael is not actually after her. That does bring up a greater mystery as to Michael's motive. We don't know why he wants to go back to his house. We don't know why he just wants to stare out that window. We have to wait for Halloween ends next year to find that out. But nevertheless, right. I was I was glad they were taking it in a different narrative direction. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And it definitely brings, you know, into question as in a, the best 2018 Halloween hours already kind of did this. But I think it breaks in, brings it into a bigger question of, you know, how much do we really want to trust Laurie Strode in this movie or whatever happens in the next one? Like, how trustworthy is this main character of ours now that we know that, like you mentioned, she kind of, I guess, kind of made it up all inside of her head that, you know, Michael's coming for me and that kind of a thing. Now that we know that that's not necessarily the case, uh, and then how does that reflect on the main character? Laurie Strode in this movie doesn't really do a whole lot unfortunately maybe in like maybe the next movie we'll we'll see more of her um but you're right there is that question of okay well now that we know my you know where what michael wants to do which is go to his house and stare at the window then what you know what what's going to happen next if, so we'll have to wait a, i think a year or so for halloween ends to come out to answer hopefully answer that question but it is an interesting question you know uh, to bring up you know the sanity of our main character or i guess the uh the you know how sane they are you know are they really trustworthy that kind of a thing so yeah i i agree yeah. it's it does bring up in some interesting questions i was pretty surprised about that as well that Jamie Lee Curtis isn't in this movie a whole lot. You know, mm -hmm. she has had her day in the sun. She has been in a lot of these movies and she's really not the focus. Um, there's a lot more going on. It, I would say her paranoia and her trauma spreads to the whole town. This is something we sort of saw in Halloween for the return of Michael Myers, where there was this kind of vigilante posse that formed, um, these kind of hunters, you know, in their big souped up trucks kind of going after Michael. And then the whole police force with that big shootout at the end. 
But we haven't quite seen it like this. And I knew the film was going to tap into that. So I think that's probably one of the things that they probably did really right with this movie is spreading the fear to the whole town and getting the whole town whipped up in a frenzy. This mass murderer is back 40 years later. He's leaving a bloody wake. What is his motive? How do we stop him? Mm -hmm. And what happens when a rationality takes over? What happens when the civil society breaks down? There's that part in the hospital. It's a really good part where um, Tommy Doyle essentially takes over. And yeah, he said, yeah. here's what we're going to do. And the main sheriff guy, he's like, no, like at first he's really silent. And then he's like, no, we need to, you know, obey the law. And he's like, you're done. You guys failed. And right. I find that kind of psychological stuff interesting. So that's probably one of my, you know, parts of the movie that I found to be more interesting. Yeah, they definitely are focusing in and uh, on fighting hate with hate is essentially what they're going for when it comes to the town versus Michael. And we get to see how that all kind of ends up, right? Everything goes from order to chaos pretty quick. And that's part mostly due to Tommy Doyle. Tommy is a character that is, you know, he says, you know, evil dies tonight. Um, but his intentions are very much for hate, right? He, he does not, of course he hates Michael and so does everybody else. Right. And so, when they fight hate with a manifestation of hate, which is Michael himself, nothing good comes out of that. In fact, it really doesn't do a whole lot when at the end of the story. Uh, and the only thing that really does is now they're all dead. So I think it's an interesting idea. Uh, I think that, you know, that the idea of fighting hate with hate only ends up making it worse for everybody is an interesting idea. We do get to see how the townspeople, the more that they trust in Tommy, a source that is not exactly the most trustworthy or one that I guess is the most uh, put together, like the police forces, when they do that, then we get to see how so easily they get chaotic. And we get that scene with the escaped convict who has nothing, who has nothing to do with anything. He ends up paying for it and ends up dying, even though he's completely innocent in the mm -hmm. situation versus when it's them versus Michael. Um, so I think that there, there's some interesting ramifications that come out of it. I don't know how much, I'm liking it. This was the aspect that I was going into the movie like <laughs> a bit concerned about that it's going to be the town versus Michael. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. Mm -hmm. I think the idea is interesting. Um, the execution, I think, might be a little bit of a different matter. But the idea, I think, is is there. I think is worthwhile uh, for discussion. Well, and I think that brings up one of the, I would say, controversial issues of the film, at least. This is probably going to be my most controversial statement. I'm not sure if you'll agree with me, Alan. Okay. This is a Halloween film like I've never seen before. I view this as a dark comedy, actually. I found there to be some, you know, purposeful comedic elements. But as I was going through probably at least halfway through the film, I would say the latter half takes on more of a darker tone. This really was just kind of a dark comedy. There really wasn't a whole lot of plot to this movie for the most part. It really was just Michael rampaging through the town, slashing people up, you know, killing people. And it was all done in sometimes like comedic fashion, I would say. So... I know some people totally disagree with me and they feel like the comedy is tamped down. My theater was cracking up throughout this movie. I know I laughed sometimes. Maybe that is a sign that we're just demented. I don't know. <laughs> but nevertheless, I found it hard to miss some of the comedy in this movie. What did you think of that? Yeah, I, I think... I, can, I, I think I know where you're coming from. I, I definitely see where you're coming from because you're right. There are some elements to it where they try to play it for comedy. Big John, Little John, I think it's a, probably one of the better examples um, where they oh, feel yeah. like they're kind of played for comedy. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, it just kind of feels weird in a horror movie like Halloween. Um, so I, can, I definitely see, you know, where you're coming from when you say that it's definitely a dark comedy. I can definitely, I, I can definitely see, you know, why they would maybe be going for something like that. And there are definitely elements where I, I think that that's what they were going for. I guess in overall sense, I don't necessarily see it as a dark comedy. I see it somewhat as a social commentary, only to a point though. Um, but I think you're right. Uh -huh. I think that there are still dark comedy elements to the story as a whole. Um, because there are times where, uh, I guess another good example is when uh, 
there's that the older couple's house with the drone. That's another one where they kind of oh, yeah. played for laughs. It kind of goes back and forth between like a horror and a comedy kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I don't think it meshes very well. I I do agree. I think that they're definitely me meant to you know have some comedic moments, but I don't think it meshes very well when I'm thinking horror comedy. I think this movie does struggle with tone. What kind mm -hmm. of tone does it want to strike? Because it does end on a very dark, dark note, I would say. Whereas, yeah. at least for the beginning, it's, it's hard not to view some of this stuff as funny. Like you said, with Big John and Little John, with that couple, with um, other things like that. And then halfway through, the mob kind of reaches its apex and that mental patient essentially commits suicide. And then you kind of realize this has gotten way out of hand. It's really not fun and games anymore because you see people just cackling, running up the stairs, chasing this guy, like getting swept up in the mob mentality. I don't know. I, I don't think it totally works out at first. I'm like, if they're just going to play this for a straight dark comedy, a black comedy throughout this, then yeah, this is different. I'm actually enjoying it. But then at a certain point, you realize the tone shifts and it's just not really jiving and meshing well together. Right. I'm not really sure where to go from there. And I would say I'm, I'm disappointed because I think this movie doesn't really have a story if it does, it's not a complete one. It really does feel like, honestly, if you took a movie and you just started it in the middle and then you stopped it before the end and you just watched that, that's personally, that's how I feel about this movie. Yeah, uh, this, this is very much a setup movie to me. This is one where it relies on a lot of previous events of the movie that came before it and it relies on you to come back for the next one for to get the complete story mm -hmm. um this is how i see it i i think you're i partially agree with you that you know this doesn't have much of a story i think that the story is there but it's one that's stretched out too far um it stretched too thin i think it's to a point where if this was more like a short that they, you know, those shorts they did for Blade Runner 2049, um, I think they did like three mm -hmm. of them. They're all about 15 ish yeah. minutes each. If it was something like that, yeah. I feel like it would make a lot more sense, right? Where it tells more of a side story of Tommy Doyle, you know, being the one who gets this crowd together while Laurie Strode is in the hospital. And this whole story takes place from the perspective of Tommy Doyle with yeah. the events still saying the same, right? but told in like a 15 mm -hmm. minute format in a short film, I feel like this would make a lot more sense. With it yeah, stretched out to an hour and 45 minutes, it does feel rather thin. So I, I see what you're saying that though the story here is not much of it. Um, I see it as there's a story, but just stretched way too thin. I don't see, um, they don't go a whole very deep with a lot of these things, with a lot of these themes that they bring up. And I think that part of the reason is because it, it's definitely a short film worthy plot stretched out to an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, and one of those themes you previously brought up is this kind of a social commentary of where we're at in the United States, maybe in the world as a whole, where everybody, I think, is just constantly outraged, angry, resorting to violence. Let's just take the law into our own hands. Let's disregard rules, and we will act like you know, violent little children mm -hmm. until we get our way. That's the social commentary. I think that is a good idea to play into a Halloween film. Um, unfortunately, it's kind of like what you're saying. At a certain point, you realize there's just not much there to explore. Right. And they really are stretching it out, especially once they get to the hospital. I'm really not caring very much anymore. This wild goose chase of fake Michael is played out far too long and I get it. It has a tragic conclusion. Honestly, I don't really feel much of anything when this occurs, not because I'm cold hearted or anything, but because I, I feel like they're just trying to shoehorn this in. I know the outcome that they want from it. And I know they're going to reach that conclusion. Mm -hmm. I'm not really feeling it. I feel like they're just painting it in there and, I know people are also divided on Anthony Michael Hall's performance. I don't know if this was the direction he was given, but Tommy Doyle is kind of a silly character, I think, yeah. where he constantly says yeah. evil dies tonight and he's running around with his baseball bat just being this kind of brutish 
brutish bully and it it's just a little silly and uninteresting to me yeah yeah i i agree uh this is like i mentioned this is kind of the thing that really was like concerning when i watched in the trailer is that it now instead of michael versus maybe a handful of people now it's michael versus the entirety of of haddonfield uh, that's stretching michael the idea of you know th those original halloween movies stretching it kind of uh thin kind of big bit more than i think ha uh, halloween movies really ever, really ever tackle because what made halloween scary was that it focused solely on just a few people and michael always got to those few people up until the very end of the story um and so when we had those intimate moments of them being hunted at times it made it very effective in that original film. In this one, Michael's the one who's being hunted to a, I guess, to a point where the town is now looking for Michael and they want, they want him dead, right? But Michael goes on a killing spree. The first thing that we see when Michael comes on screen for the first time after the fire in the house, he murders an entire squad of firefighters. And that's when I'm like, uh oh, that, that's not the Michael, <laughs> that's not a Halloween movie that I, I, that I'm used to. This is very, very different. Right. And it pretty much stains that, it saves that same train for the rest of the film. So it for me, it feels like it's a Halloween movie that's meant to have some kind of social commentary assigned to it. And they take the idea of Michael and try to apply it to that. I don't feel like the pieces all fit together. This doesn't feel like a Halloween film to me. It feels like a Halloween inspired movie, not necessarily one that really belongs in the Halloween franchise. Yeah, particularly how much slasher gore is in this, which I never really viewed the original Halloween as much of a slasher film. There is, of course, some of those elements in there, but it's not just this really bloody affair like this one is. This one is easily maybe the most gory, brutal, violent one in the series outside of maybe mm -hmm. Rob Zombie's Halloween, which was pretty bloody as well. I gotta say, I was shocked. At a certain point, it was... I understand they're trying to make a point of dehumanization, but after a while, it was getting to be a little too much for me, a little uncomfortable. Um, yeah, you're right. There is a lot to this one as well. It doesn't quite feel like a Halloween movie, whereas Michael probably wouldn't have walked out of that house with an axe, and I really didn't like it when he kind of you know, swings the axe in his hand, like who's first, like it's going to be some street fight with Michael. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. That's just not his MO. And then he does, he uses axes, he uses the, that giant saw. It gets really crazy after a while and strings people up and whatnot. Um, a couple of the other things. Um, I'm really shocked that, I really thought the daughter, um, whatever her name's Allison, when she says, mm -hmm. I'm going to go hunt Michael down and she writes a letter and stuff, they she finds Lindsay and then she disappears for the rest of the movie yep. until the very end. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. I thought she was going to be more of a character in this. Yep, because that 2018 Halloween set up to be kind of like the next Laurie Strode in a way. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it did. Yeah, they don't do anything with her. This movie has a problem with characters. I feel. Um, I think the most, I think the most developed character is that of Tommy Doyle, and he's not even a main character because he's dead now. Uh, yeah, we have <laughs> three that came from the previous film, and they do basically nothing. Allison is the most is the one that does the most out of this film, and even then, she disappears for most of it. I think this movie has a problem when it comes to keeping up with its main characters because Laurie Strode does nothing. Allison does nothing, and whatever her name is, the mom of Allison, uh, Karen, doesn't do a whole lot up until the very, very end of the story when she also dies. So I yeah. think this movie is, as well, as long as it, you know, at the same time that it's trying to tell a bigger story, a bigger scope and bigger scoped story, and reaching out to other characters like Tommy Doyle, it's going too far. It's doing too much. There's a, a lot to this movie to a point where nothing really feels very well developed at the end of the day. Well, you're exactly right because they do bring back these classic characters from the original film mm -hmm. and some of yeah. them have been recast, but how do these characters serve the plot? 
I mean, if this is supposed to talk about the psychological toll, we get to see Lori's psychological toll in the 2018 and, you know, very well played out detail. These characters yep. don't seem to be psychologically scarred whatsoever. They seem to hold some kind of anger over the situation. Uh, at least Tommy does. He's, you know, extremely angry. But all these other characters are just kind of vapid and they just die really, really fast and in really stupid mm -hmm. ways, which leads me to wonder why bring back these classic characters in a new canon if you're not going to do anything with them except just have them there, maybe for fan service, maybe for curiosity's sake. Uh, I was definitely disappointed. I mean, when I saw him there in the beginning, I thought, okay, that's kind of cool. And why in the world? Now, this is one of the most head-scratching points. We get a new flashback that is supposed to be canonical of Lonnie Lamb, who was the bully. He, he bullied t Tommy in the first movie, and <laughs> then come to find out he was bullied himself, hence the reason he's a bully. Um, they're friends now, but he bumped into Michael back on that Halloween night. And oh, yeah, I mean, honestly, who cares? You bumped into him, it was scary, but nothing happened to him. But he's still traumatically scarred from it or whatever. That flashback serves no purpose into playing into his character, and his character mm -hmm. dies in really stupid ways. So, that was one of my main frustrations is characters make stupid choices resulting in their death. I mean, it's no surprise Michael is just going to kill them because they make stupid choices. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, they make. I mean, it's a it's a slasher movie, so it's not like they're going to make the smartest the, the smartest decisions to begin with. But right. yeah, you're right. They make really dumb decisions in this whole movie. That you know, of course, it's the it's the classic of like. Okay, good example. The drone scene, um, when the lady flies her drone to the bathroom and then the drone just stops and then they have to go investigate who's there yep. kind of thing. And we come to find out that it's Michael the whole time. It's like, okay, why you know, why would they why would they go out of their way to do that kind of a thing, you know? They make stupid decisions. I feel like I've seen this a million times before, but it still does not make it any any less stupid when they only do it to build atmosphere or to build suspense um by making those really dumb decisions well and did we really need to focus on hawkins this much where he gets that main flashback in the beginning and then he gets the next flashback where he accidentally shoots the other deputy and then i think he gets one more flashback where he another deputy helps him cover up the killing and just blames it on michael and we actually get to see him stop loomis from shooting michael that mm -hmm. probably would have been good to incorporate into Halloween 2018 since he was a major character in that film. But this just right. feels tacked on. This just feels like, oh, yeah, that guy was kind of pointless. Let's give him a reason to be here. And so they really make up for it. So I'm just questioning a lot of choices here in this movie. Like, does this really need to be here? Oftentimes, I think the answer is no, unfortunately. Right. I mean, if the answer comes in the next movie, then I feel like this failed as a movie, right? Or at least failed in terms of telling a cohesive story. Because if if yeah. the answers for why some of these things are going to be here are only lying in the movie that comes after this, mm -hmm. then you're not telling a complete story. So that's why I feel like this is definitely like a, like a setup film. This is one that's meant to kind of be a bridge between Halloween 2018 and Halloween Ends, whenever that comes out. Um, yep. Which is why I feel like it's just a plot, or always sim a simple plot that's stretched way too thin. That's just kind of what it feels like. It feels like these are the things that just need to happen before we get to the next one. And we don't really want to tell it all in one story, so let's just, I guess, make it into Halloween Kills. That's what it feels like to me. If I'm not mistaken, this is the highest kill count we have in a Halloween film, right? At least to my, to my recollection. Absolutely. That's what I thought. Yeah, because, I mean, he slaughters then basically an entire group of people and uh, a fleet, I don't know what you call them, a squad, a fleet of firefighters as well. <laughs> also, a number, of other, a number of other people on the way. Yeah, that's what yeah. I remembered. I thought I remembered that this being the highest, this felt like it was the highest go kind of any other Halloween film. Yeah, it was shocking how much we were doing that because it's the definitely the brutality of a Rob Zombie movie, which... That was just mm -hmm. a brutal, viscerally violent film. And the John Carpenter ones, like these ones haven't ever really, even the one previously wasn't really about that. But this, I mean, yeah, I yeah. guess we should have known. It's called Halloween Kills. 
And it literally is about- <laughs> I guess it fits. It, it is. Way. It's yeah. about so much death um, going on. So, you know, kind of finishing off with this point, I did think mm. it was interesting when Karen takes Michael's mask and he seems to need the mask and he is trapped and he gets the beat down. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, I was kind of thinking that was going to be it actually. And Halloween ends maybe wouldn't feature Michael. I mean, he's ganged up on, they're going, I mean, how can you not kill someone when you surround them and stab them and club them and shoot them multiple times? And right. honestly, Alan, I thought that was going to be the end of the film. I thought it was just going to end there. And it was kind of a twist. And it, it was very stylized, but it was kind of an interesting end to the movie where Lori gets kind of this closing monologue. I really want to go back and listen to it. And you see Michael get up mm -hmm. and just slaughter all of those people. Nothing they can do can keep him down. And then it's almost as if he can teleport. He It's almost that he teleports up to that second bedroom unless he went in through the back door because everybody was covering the front he is just there in the room with karen and there is yep. kind of this mysticism to it all that what if michael is kind of just the spirit of halloween what if he is just this spirit where you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and that's exactly what's going on with him so i think for a fairly shallow movie, they do leave us on a very interesting morsel to chew on there at the end of, oh, okay, this is interesting. But once again, we're not going to know really what's going on until Halloween ends, as far as I know. Yeah. When they were giving him the beat down, um, I figured that he's probably going to just walk out of it. No problem. Because you can if. For one, if you kill Michael, I feel like you're going to really peeve off a lot of people because Michael's unkillable. He's an idea. How do you kill an idea? Um, so I had I had a pretty pretty good feeling that when that all began and the uh, the the residents of Haddonfield are just laying into him, I figured that you know at some point he's just going to get up and he's just going to kill them all and that's going to be it. Um, I didn't think twice for a second that Michael would actually die in this movie, uh, which he didn't. He only made it, like you said, only kind of made him stronger at the end of the day. Well, Alan, I'm very curious. What is your rating and recommendation for Halloween Kills? I feel like there is an interesting message within Halloween Kills somewhere. Had it been told by maybe a different story, it would have been easier to pick up or at least better, I guess, more represented or represented better or represented well. Not here. This is not really a Halloween film. This feels weird that this is Halloween Kills. It takes the idea of Michael Myers and the idea of what a Halloween film is and kind of throws it away. Uh, <laughs> it definitely goes on a very different route, which is fine. I'm okay with taking you know a different route to uh, these older franchises, uh, but I just don't really understand you know why this one, why this way. This feels like a 15-minute short film, similar to those that we have for Blade Runner 2049, um, but stretched out to an hour and 45 minutes. This doesn't go very deep. There's something here that they want to say with social commentary by, you know, how crazy everything's been getting um, in the last few years, but it doesn't really go too deep with that. There's an idea of, you know, fighting hate with hate only ends up making things worse, but they don't go very, very deep with that. The main characters are not main characters anymore. It's kind of Tommy is the main character, but not really. So it kind of leaves me confused as to, you know, what the goal was for a movie like this. I like certain elements in this in this film, but I just don't see them, you know, materialized all the way through. So I'm going to give it a three out of ten. I'm not going to say to recommend. Um, I think that there's something here, but not something that's fully realized. Halloween Kills isn't quite what I was expecting. Come to think of it, I'm not quite sure what I was expecting since this series has been approached from almost every different angle at this point. My take is probably different from a lot of people's, but I saw Halloween Kills as our first black comedy franchise, and for most of the runtime I liked it for that. My audience was laughing quite a bit, and I was too. While I think the violence is needlessly extreme, and downright dehumanizing at times, I suppose in some ways that's what the filmmakers are going for, the breakdown of civil society into barbarism, 
But along the way, the creators somehow are able to infuse comedy without it feeling out of place. Don't get me wrong, this isn't pure comedy, it's a black comedy, it's dark humor, but there is something to be said, if you don't laugh, then you'll cry. I was going with this movie for the first half. I was invested in the new backstory, enthralled by the terror, except it lost me about halfway through. There's too much going on. Shockingly, Allison, and more importantly, Lori, take a back seat. I don't care so much about Lori, but I really thought they were setting up Allison to take over the franchise. My two main issues are, after a while it becomes exhausting to watch characters make poor choices and witness the ensuing carnage, and at the end of the film, I'm left scratching my head. The mental damage it causes on the town is interesting. Unfortunately, it's not enough for me to be engaged or even understand what the story is driving at. We'll have to wait to the third film to fully understand it, I suppose. I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. This movie is clearly divisive. I'm right in the middle. I think it's better than the last film, which played it far too safe, yet I can't quite recommend it. Halloween Kills receives 5 stars out of 10, with a mild not recommend. Maybe I'll change my mind next year. I think it, I think you get something that says something that was really telling. Um, maybe we just didn't really get too much into it. Uh, but you're right, there is a lot going on in this story. And I think that maybe what made that first, like that original film from 1978 work, as well as it did, is that it's a very, very simple film. There's not a whole lot to it, right? It's just a killer is on the loose and goes through a handful of teenage girls. That's basically the plot of Halloween. Yeah. And it's very simple, but it's effective in its simpleness. I feel like it's the complete opposite here. So your rating has dropped like a rock. Last time you gave the film <laughs> yeah. seven stars out of 10 with a recommend. Yeah, um, I gave it a six out of 10 mm -hmm. mild recommend. Um, mine's not too off, too far off. So I have watched, I pulled it up on Letterboxd. I really wanted to make sure I was being accurate. I have watched Halloween 2018 four times at this point now. I watched it okay. when we reviewed it. I watched it in February 2019, October 2020, and then October of this year is my most recent viewing. I honestly think that movie is just wildly mediocre and it's just like completely unnecessary and plays it safe. It does nothing different. I guess the reason I'm so I'm struggling with this one is it is doing some things differently and in some ways it's more engaging. I feel like they're kind of, you know, batting for, you know, what they're trying to bat for a home run here. They're batting for the outfield, you know, they're trying. I don't yeah. think it works unless we watch Halloween ends and somehow it puts this one into context and it's just this really kind of incredible trilogy. You would just have to watch watch straight through as one, you know, four or five hour film or whatever. But I, I don't know. I After a while, I was into it. And then at the end, I kind of just left with a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. I'm just like, that really kind of didn't live up to what I was thinking. And my wife didn't like this at all. Now, my wife was pretty excited mm -hmm. to see Halloween Kill. She was telling me how she excited she was. And we bought tickets in advance. And we went to go see it. And we walked out of the theater. And she's like, I did not like that movie. She gave it a four out of 10, a solid not recommend. Um, so Oof. I'm just saying she was closer. She's pretty close. She's between me and Alan's rating, I suppose. Yep. Um, yep. And, you know, I debated because I still think in some ways this is better than 2018. So I debated. Do I give this one a six? Honestly, I can't say this is one that I would probably return to very much. Um Based on mm -hmm. your scores, Alan, you're putting it, you've handed out two threes before. You're putting it on par with Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, which are probably movies you'd never want to re even remember is my guess. Yeah, there are only three that <laughs> I could ever see myself returning to, and that's the original Halloween, 2018 Halloween, and Halloween 2. Um, H2O yep. is a very big, big maybe, uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's not much better than the ones that you listed off, honestly. I think I'd maybe budget up a little bit only because Halloween 6 had two different cuts to it um, and that theatrical mm -hmm. cut was not good. So no, I'd probably no. bump it up 
just a hair above Halloween six. But in reality, at that point, you're just kind of splitting hairs. I feel like I, that that far down the list. Um, can't say I really recommend any of them except for the three that I just named off. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the only ones you've recommended. I recommended the last one. I recommended H2O, the first one clearly, and Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. That one has, I actually enjoy that one. So if I'm actually going to, you know, rank those, I'm actually going to go the first one and then I'll probably put Halloween 4 as my number two pick. Um, you gave H2O a four out of 10. So you did, I, I'd be curious to go back and listen to your thoughts on that one because clearly you didn't like it very much, but it sounds like you might have softened softened over these past few years towards the idea of it. I can also say I haven't returned to any of these movies outside of that original 1978 movie. Um, maybe for good reason. I do kind of want to go back to see 2018 Halloween to see if it holds up to what I remember it being. I remember being in the same camp as you, Corbin, being pretty mediocre. Mm-hmm. But it's been a number of years. Now I have this one in context. So I, I'm curious to see if it makes it better anyway. Uh, but I'm yeah. not really going to be looking forward into not really going to be pursuing <laughs> that anytime soon, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to see if your rating would change at all for 2018, if it would go mm-hmm. up or down. But I do you own any of the Halloween movies, Alan. I do not remember if you own any of them. I own the original, and that's about it. Okay. So um, do I even need to ask if you're going to pick this one up? I'm probably going to pass. <laughs> so the only time I will pick this one up is I know someday they'll release some giant box set with all 13 movies. and you. Kn- oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they will. You know they're never going to stop making these movies. So, of course, my box set will be incomplete because I did actually own... The previous box set, I bought it in college. I spent way too much money on it. I was trying to pay for college. I I had to sell it, sadly. I will buy the new box set that comes out. That's the only reason I'll own this one. But this is one I can't see myself picking up. I picked up the last one, digital only, really, really cheap. So that's the only reason I have it. But you didn't recommend this one, Alan. Do you have anything else you would recommend our listeners check out? Yeah, I got to say, this one was kind of hard to find recommendations for, for me personally. But I did come up with three. Okay. Um, Scream from 96. I'm going to recommend mm-hmm. that one. That's a good one. Um, I forget if I've already recommended this one in the previous Halloween films. I don't know if we were doing it back then. Uh, I'm going to say Night of the Living Dead from 1968. I think we reviewed that one somewhat recently. Um, I, I'm recommending that one because it also kind of takes place over one night. Um, that's probably one of the better examples of films that, you know, take place only in one night or one day for the most part. And then I'm also, this might be breaking the rules a little bit, I guess, but Halloween 2 in 1981, I'm going to recommend that one as well, because there are a lot of similarities between this one and that one. You did recommend it, um, when we reviewed it. So yeah, that's fair. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. So I don't think listeners are going to be expecting my recommendations at all. My first recommendation is actually the Babadook. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Wow. So the reason I'm recommending Justify the Babadook. <laughs> okay. All I'm right. I will, why. I will explain. So the reason I'm recommending the Babadook is because I think this movie is trying to tap into psychological fears within the community, within the family, especially there towards the end, kind of this ominous presence within and without. I think the Babadook does that far better than this movie does. I have, The Babadook is a fantastic horror film. I felt like I was picking up on some things in this movie, and I was like, I feel like I've seen some of this stuff done better. Oh, yeah, The Babadook. So that's somewhat of my justification to it. Um, listeners, you'll have to check that movie out for yourself and make up your own mind. I'm also going to be recommending a... James Cagney movie from 1933 called The Mayor of Hell. It Mm. is one I doubt very many of you have seen, but it is one that I saw at a young age and it left the very end of it left. I won't spoil it, but it left an impression in my mind of how this whole town kind of becomes corrupted and turns on 
kind of the society at large and they all get their torches out and it is a very kind of strange dark ending so definitely check out the mayor of hell it is a interesting movie interesting i'll have to look in that so as i said earlier originally we were supposed to be reviewing halloween ends this is this should have been our review for halloween ends but it was pushed <laughs> to uh, yeah it was pushed to october 14th 2022 also, originally, they were supposed to shoot Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends back to back, and they would take place immediately after this film. Instead, Halloween Ends is going to take place in present day. It's going to take place four years after Halloween Kills. It will even further address social commentaries like um, the global pandemic that we went through somehow that will be addressed into the film. I don't know how they're going to weave that in there. There was a hint, I would say, at the end where Laurie says Michael might disappear and he might come back next Halloween. He might just be this ominous presence. Hmm. I'm curious to see how that will factor into Halloween ends. Despite being very iffy about this one, I got to say, I'm very at least very curious how they're going to wrap up the trilogy. Yeah, I am too. I'm curious to see now that they have whatever happened in this movie, which is the town of Haddonfield that just went nuts. Mm -hmm. I wonder how that's going to factor into the next film. I'm curious to see how they're going to wrap it up, but I'm going to say I'm not too excited for what's to come. Okay, I guess another recommendation I'll throw out is we just reviewed it, Candyman, um, Candyman 2, actually. Because I think that was an interesting concept because they had the guts to pull their villain out of Cabrini Green and moved him down to Louisiana as this urban legend that could just haunt everywhere. So I think that's an idea they could incorporate into Halloween and make it very fascinating is what if Michael is just this evil presence that comes around at Halloween and what if Michael is like, everywhere in every city and everyone has to deal with him somehow that would be a very right. interesting concept it'd be interesting that would be interesting well listeners the question after the show is is this the best or worst installment in the series i know for stewart over at now playing he said this was his favorite installment in the entire franchise oh wow that's interesting yep he loved the movie. I'm clearly not there. Um, you know, it, like I said, it's probably right in the middle for me. So I don't recommend it. I don't recommend most of this series. So um, it's definitely not um, the best installment. I got to say that far from it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. All right, Alan, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, thank you for joining us on our review with Halloween Kills. We want to know what you thought of it, so make sure to email us your thoughts. You can tweet at us, post on Facebook, but you can email us at silverscreenguide95 at gmail.com. That email is in the description below. So curious to see what all of you thought of Halloween Kills. I know it's divisive, so I'm sure we're going to get a lot of different opinions on this one. But Alan, I got to say... We're ready for it. We are ready for my most anticipated movie of 2021, Dune. I got to say, I'm so excited. I am very curious to know what you think about it. Because I'm excited <laughs> too. Um, especially since we walked through all the needs films. And uh, I got to see the original Dune from 84 from David Lynch. I'm really curious to know what this new one's going to be like. Um, especially after Jodorowsky's Dune. I wonder how much we're going to be taking off of that one too. I'm curious to know what's going to be like. I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm so excited too. So listeners, we are next week. We're going to be for now wrapping up our Del Denis Villeneuve movie review series and our Dune movie review series. Now, of course, we will come back to those when new installments are added. But as of right now, those will cap off both of those installments and then after that i will be coming to you to review the tron duology and we have some more great films scheduled for the rest of the year so make sure to check those out the schedule is listed below if you want to see um what other movies we're going to be reviewing this year so listeners make sure to subscribe make sure to share with your friends and family you're not going to want to miss our review next week 
of the biggest film of the year for Dune. I'm so excited. So we will see you next week, listeners. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.